Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. All right, we got a big treat for you guys today. Trent Cooper is a filmmaker and producer for NFL 360, and you guys have to check out the 12-minute film on Devin White tonight that airs at 8 p.m. on NFL Network entitled Wild Horses. And we're going to have a chance to talk to Trent, who's from up the road here at Lakeland High School, before he started winning Emmy Awards for his films. Uh, this one you don't want to miss, 8 p.m. tonight. We'll talk to Trent about Devin White and really what inspires him, where his love of horses came from. Um, so much great discussion on the Bucks linebacker and things that you didn't know that you will know after this interview. So look forward to that. Speaking of the Bucks, I uh, had a chance to talk to Bruce Arians, of course, after their loss in Los Angeles, got back on the red eye. Can I just say something that that red eyes are good in that, you know, you get home and you feel like the day isn't gone, but it but you're so tired. I think they should be almost outlawed. I, I there's really no, I mean, I know you got to get from point A to point B in the time zones and all of that. I tried to stay on the Western time zone. I'm telling you, how people can sleep in airplanes. Are you can you sleep in an airplane? I, I can sleep, but not very well. Uh, I remember taking a red yeah. eye from Hawaii one time. I went Hawaii. Oh my, yeah, I've done that several times. Hawaii to Dallas, and then we went Dallas to Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And I'll never yeah. forget that. You know, they go. Okay, you know, close your eyes, relax, you know, you know, it would be a seven, eight hour, whatever the flight was, you know, you know, overnight, you know, we'll dim the lights, it'd be great. Okay, so, you know, I start to fall asleep. And then they get, and now announcement for the, you know, if you want uh, food and drink, I'm like, didn't you just tell us to go to sleep? And I was, (laughs) and now you woke me up. (laughs) They've gotten a little better about that, because they do really want you to go to sleep. It's just that you can't go to sleep until they serve you the first round of beverages, but after that. What happens is when you're going from west to east, of course, you think you can sleep because it's dark when you leave, but then the night is about two hours long because then the sun's coming up when you get to the east coast, and you're like, wait a minute, it's light outside. But most people put down the shades. It was just really uncomfortable. I, I, you know, I'm not riding in first class, understandably, So, and every seat was taken. LAX is interesting. Um, anytime on a Sunday night, it's one of the busiest nights of the year for them because that's when all the flights are going east and people have to be, uh, you know, for business, uh, for whatever, on Monday morning, you know, on the east coast coming from California. So um, these flights are all sold out. But anyway, that's that's my beef, right? So I get back and Bruce Arians has his news conference at 2.30. We learn um, a couple of things. Nothing new about Jamel Dean. He's still going to undergo some, an MRI and other tests. One injury we didn't note about was Scotty Miller. Apparently he has a turf toe, a fairly serious one, and that that's an injury that you have to really watch because obviously if you're a, a guy who runs routes and is cutting in and out, um, these these are the sort of injuries that defensive backs get. It, it actually ended, not to scare anybody, it ended Deion Sanders' career because um, his was so severe. But um, but it's a, it's a tough one to come back from. It takes time, and so I think they may be without Scotty Miller. The good news is, Tyler Johnson played really, really well. He had a career high in yardage, had a touchdown. 
Um, so that depth at the receiver we talk about all the time because we don't know yet uh, if Antonio Brown will be back. It looks like Kevin Minter will be, but Brown still needs two negative tests and be asymptomatic to play this week uh, at New England. So we're waiting on that. Jason Pierre-Paul, of course, with a shoulder injury, didn't make the trip to L.A. Uh, Bruce said that it looks like he will be out for this game against the Patriots. He goes, you never know with Jason, but that's that's certainly the way it's trending. So um, they're going to go up there with, again, less than a, a full complement of their players. And, you know, the, the thing we discuss with, with Bruce is just how bad the defense has been. And, and I'll give Bruce credit for this. Um, when you're not playing well, he has no trouble calling guys out by name. You know, we remember last year it was such a big shock when, you know, after week one he's saying, well, Brady missed this read and a bad throw here. And everybody was, was aghast because you don't call out the GOAT. But there's nobody he won't call out. And he was fairly critical, especially of the guys up front, you know, that might be, you know, getting to the quarterback but not finishing with sacks. Um, he mentioned Shaq Barrett by name. Of course, he didn't have JPP in the game. It was, you know, the rookie Joe Tryon Shoinka and uh, Anthony Nelson rushing from that side. But uh, Barrett had an opportunity to to, to get to Matthew Stafford and, and didn't put him on the ground. And, um, you know, the, the combination right now that's killing them is the lack of a rush. They can't play man coverage very much because they're short on defensive backs. And so um, you don't have much depth there. When you play man, um, sometimes you need to rotate guys in and out. They really don't have that ability. So they're really caught in the middle a little bit. But uh, it was interesting to hear Bruce, and, and, and rightfully so. I mean, look, Shaq Bear was a guy that had 19 and a half sacks that made him a franchise player. Then he went out and had nine uh, or eight and a half, and, and they gave him a huge contract. So he's got one of the three sacks they have this year. But when you look at the rankings, it just doesn't make sense. The Bucks are last in the league in sacks. They got three. There's about 10 players that have that many uh, in the league by, by themselves. And, and then you look at the passing yards. You know, it's astronomical. I mean, they're, they're one of the worst teams uh, against the pass. They're good against the run because nobody tries to run against them. And they just haven't really adjusted that well. Um, on the other side of the ball, Steve, they've got to run the football. Uh, you know, he's talking about, well, you know, we, we don't get those five-yard runs, so we, we stop running it. We want to get the ball to our playmakers. But I think even Bruce realizes now that they're going to have to start being more balanced. And they got into this thing last year. It was similar. But when they were really winning, you know, that eight-game win streak, um, that's when playoff Lenny was born and you, you had Ronald Jones ripping off some long runs. So – I, I think this football team has to uh, reestablish the ability to run when they want to and, and be productive doing it. Um, it's not enough just to call the runs. You have to actually, uh, you know, stay ahead of the chains, as they say. So I, I look for them to start to sort of refit this thing, and that will help their defense, don't you think? Well, you're going to shorten the game, and, right. and if you can be productive with the run game, you're going to extend drives. and Right. You know, the more you can keep that defense off the field, the less plays that secondary have to make. Right. The better, the better it's going to be. Uh, right. And when you're that young and inexperienced back there, then with all the communication issues we've seen, and you hope another week of practice will help solve some of that. And you know, you were playing guys you hoped you weren't going to play in LA. But yeah. yeah, the less plays that defense has to make, the longer the drives that Tom Brady can execute, and a running game is a big part of that then yeah. it, it absolutely helps your defense. Yeah, and I mean, they're not, you know, they want to score in five and six play drives, and that's fine, um, but you can run some clock and give those guys a little bit of time 
uh, so you're not have to run so many guys out there and play so many plays uh, or so quickly go back on defense. So I, I think that that all kind of works together. Tom Brady uh, was on his uh, Let's Go podcast with Jim Gray, and as expected, he talked about his return to New England, and as expected, he doesn't want to talk about it <laughs> all that much. Um, I think he's going to downplay this all week. I mean, he knows what the, the buildup. He says there's a lot of hype. He goes, I know it's kind of been going on for quite a while, but for me, I'm just excited to go play a football game, just a regular season football game, try to get back on the winning track. He knows it's against the team he played for for 20 years. Um, but his point is, like, look, I put 100% into every week as it is. What am I going to do? Say I'm putting in 110% now? All that said, and, and he can't speak for his teammates because he was asked by, by Jim, you know, what do you think your teammates uh, are thinking uh, about playing in this game, knowing what it means to you? And he just said, look, you'd have to ask them, you know. Um, but it's it's just not something he wants to reminisce about right now. And yet we all know that when he gets there, when he's physically in that building, and he even said this, he's going to be on the opposite sideline. He's going to be in the opposite, the visitor's locker room. Um, but he knows, you know, what it, what, what the stadium sounds like. He knows what it smells like. He knows which way the wind blows. He's so intimately familiar with everything about Gillette and, and Foxborough. And there will be people that he has seen for 20 years in those seats that, you know, they're going to, they're going to cheer for him initially. Um, but then he made it clear. He goes, look, you know, I would expect, and they would expect to, to root for the Patriots because they know that my sole focus is going to be trying to win a football game against them. Um, but he doesn't, you know, it, 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 he's sort of like acknowledging that this is going to be a thing, but he doesn't want it to be a thing. So good luck with that, Tom. Well, and, and I think, look, and, you know, you never won a, a loss in, in the NFL season. Right. But losing that game Sunday should give this team a, you would think a better focus, although you hope they're focused every week. In. But yeah. there's a big difference between three and one and two and two. In oh, the huge! Yeah, and so yeah. you know now you're two and one. You're not three and zero oh going in this game, so you're two and right. one. Right. You know you're going to hit the quarter point of the season or close to. Now that we've had a 17th game, it's you know not quite, but that you know that four games in, you'd like to be three and one, not two and two. And yeah. so it should be easy for for Brady or Bruce or you know whoever to get the team to focus on that and and you know cut out those distractions of Tom and Gronk coming back and, and everything else that's going to happen. Um, you know, there's already the natural hype of it just being a Sunday night game. It's a primetime game, which changes your schedule and in the way you do things and, you know, your game, you know, Sunday and all that. So, I mean, you know, there's already that naturally in it. And then Brady going back to new England, but you know, this is an important game for the Buccaneers. You know, you, you want to be three and one, not two and two. Well, it's interesting you said that because Brady said exactly the same thing. Um, what he said is that, you know, you can learn things even as you're winning because you, you're never perfect. You know, mm -hmm. football is not the perfect sport. There's always mistakes. There's always things you can improve. It's, it's one of those games you can't perfect, really, because 11 guys all have to do their job on every play, and that's just simply not going to occur. But he said, he goes, you know, when you're winning and not doing the right things, they get overlooked or – Maybe you don't have the attention to detail, or maybe you think, ah, we'll, we'll get by. You know, we made these mistakes, but it's okay. And losing just brings home to the point even more clear that, nah, you know, you can't let these things go, you know, and, and you've got to address them. You've got to address them right away. 
And and so they think that, you know, he says, I've never been afraid to lose a game because I'm afraid of not playing in a game. You know, my thing is I'd rather play and lose than to be on the sideline and be injured and not get to play at all. Um, but the great players in the National Football League, you know, he's lost plenty of games, but he's won so many more than he's lost. And, you know, what he rarely does is lose two in a row. It's remarkable if you look at Brady's record um, throughout the years and how, how infrequent it was for him to lose back-to-back games. And so from that standpoint, um, you know, these guys, they have a lot of reasons to be focused. One, they don't like they don't like the feeling of it. The other thing is they haven't experienced losing. Like it was like last late November of last year. It's been almost a year um, since this football team has lost a game. And so, you know, that was a hell of a run, and they, they had forgotten just how crappy that feels, you know. Um, but it's also – it's also expected is, you know, like I said, the best athletes in the world, you know, they don't win every race. They don't win every NBA title. They, you know, it's, you, 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 you know, get those calluses and you learn things through losing sometimes. Um, but he thinks they're going to probably be respond to this and be a better team going forward because, you know, look, the Rams had, they had a good plan. They had a good day. Um, you know, the Bucks have lost before and then come back and, and beaten teams that they lost to, like the Rams. Um, Kansas City last year, we all remember that was a field goal game. Of course, they came back and beat them in the Super Bowl. So they'll probably see the, each other down the road somewhere. Um, but we're only three games into a very long season. And, and um, you know, you really, you, you know, the worst thing you can do is, is let that game beat you twice. And uh, Brady was quickly on to, uh, you know, as, as – as Belichick would say, we're, we're on to New England, but um, he's definitely turned the page. So it's a good interview. Um, wrote about it. There should be a link up uh, to uh, that podcast, uh, which, you know, they do a nice job. I mean, I, I think Jim asked them the appropriate questions. One funny, one funny comment. <laughs> Let me see if I can find it real quick, because if you don't have a chance to to read this, I want to read it to you. You know, his dad of course, popped off last week uh, to Tom Curran, my my friend at NBC in Boston. What's interesting is that Tom really didn't say much about it during the week. And, and what his dad had said is essentially, you know, did Tom feel, or, you know, first he asked, did you feel vindicated when Tom won the Super Bowl last year? And he was, you know, his dad was like, you're damn right. You know, and he goes, well, does Tom feel that way? He goes, you're damn right he does. <laughs> so it was basically, he goes, Belichick didn't want him. Didn't want him. So on the podcast, Jim Gray finally gets around to asking Brady about his father. I just want to read you what he said. He goes, I've actually prepared a statement that I wanted to say, and it's really all I have to say on the subject. Comments made by Thomas Edward Brady, a 77-year-old insurance company CEO who should know better at this point in his life, don't necessarily affect the views or positions held by his son, Thomas Edward Patrick Brady Jr. Furthermore, should Tom Sr. continue to speak on behalf of his son without the express written consent, Jr. reserves the right to eventually put him in a home against his will. (laughs) 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 Then he went on to say about, you know, what a great daddy is and a loving father. He goes, I'm his only son, you know, and kind of make, but we all know that, that, you know, uh, there's plenty of people that are happy to speak for Tom. So Tom doesn't have to. 
Um, but there's certainly truth in uh, in what what Tom Senior says, um, even if uh, even if even if his son would prefer he uh, not say it at times. That was interesting. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, well, this is a treat. As I told you, Trent Cooper, uh, an Emmy Award-winning producer, for NFL 360. He's got a film that's uh, coming out tonight at 8 p.m. on a story about Devin White entitled Wild Horses, and Trent joins us now. Trent, uh, we're familiar with Devin. Uh, I, I, you know, we're a little bit familiar with the story, obviously, but I have to tell you, and I've had a chance to watch this film, um, it is absolutely, you know, cinematically, it's gorgeous. It's a great story. But tell me what, what sort of like attracted you to Devin, what you think made this unique and how you were able to, to kind of bring in his roots. Because I think that the whole story is, is just about where he's from and, and what has been, what has driven him uh, from there to his career now. Yeah, well, listen, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. It's a real treat for me. I, uh, I love what you do and, and I've been reading your column for a long time. So thank, thank you for that. Um, listen, Part of why I love my job is that you have this this connection with a player like Devin White. We all love Devin White. I mean, does anyone not love Devin White? We all love <laughs> right. him. But we don't necessarily know a lot about him. We know mm-hmm. he, he plays with passion. We see the fire. We see the big smile. We know he's fast as hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know he came from Louisiana. That's about it, though. And, and I was... You know, I had read, it's funny, I had read your article a couple of years ago at, at draft time. Mm-hmm. And you had written about um, the relationship with his brother and how that's at the heart of everything he did. He, he, he does even still today. And you talked a little bit about the connection with horses and, and, and how that all kind of weaves into this tragedy that he experienced as a young man. And I remember reading that story and thinking to myself, File that away. Someday that's going to become something more. And that story is going to go even further. And when it does, we're going to, we're going to know what to do with it. And I just kind of put it in the back of my head. And right around Super Bowl, you know, after the Super Bowl, there's this great image of Devin kneeling. Uh, and, and there's all this confetti flying around him. And, and the cannons have gone off. And the smoke is in the air. So it's like, you know, it's a very smoky cinematic shot and you see him kneeling there and he's, he, he, I just felt like he was having this moment with his brother. Mm. And I kind of went racing back to your article from two years prior. And I was like, God, I still remember. And I kind of put those pieces together. Then of course, the next thing you do is wondered, has anyone else told the story? And I went kind of no. hunting to see if anyone else had run with what you started. And I couldn't believe that nobody had. And I called the bucks and I'm like, has anybody else done this? This is like the greatest story in football. And they're like, no, nobody's done this. So we uh, we knew it was kind of our time to seize the moment. And that, that's sort of how it started for us. Well, Jamarco Jewel uh, Grenard was his stepbrother. Um, mm-hmm. I want to say they're about six years apart. Does that sound about right? As far yeah, as I, think it, I think it might be seven. So, seven. so yeah. the, the, the way this, the, 
the blended family comes together. So Devin and his mother, Koisha, who's amazing. I don't know if you've met her. I think you might have interviewed her at one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just the two of them. And uh, she remarried or she married uh, Devin's stepfather when he was about four years old. And suddenly this this blended family comes together. And overnight, Devin has uh, an older brother. And it's a, it's a stepbrother who's seven years older. And, you know, the story begins there. But, you know, even though there's this age gap, the bond is immediate. And, and I think one of the things that is so cool is that Jamarco, who, who everyone called JJ, never treated Devin as the little brother. I always treated him almost as an equal. Yeah. And as they were coming up, they were just inseparable. And Devin learned so much from him. And, you know, when you think of Devin White, you think of well, you think of the trademark speed, right? Well, JJ was the fastest kid anyone had ever seen from this town. And, and Devin used to watch his older brother run track and train for track. And, and he saw all that raw speed and he was really uh, attracted to it. And he would train the way JJ would train. He would learn things that JJ would do. And one of the great stories that's not, necessarily in the piece that I love is that they come from this town that's so small and so country and, and, and the school was so underfunded. They didn't even have a track. Yeah. And yet, and yet JJ won the, the state, state championship in Louisiana <laughs> for the 200 meter dash. I think he came in second for the hundred. I mean, those are some fast dudes from some Louisiana and that's like where OBJ came from. This is not, yeah. yeah, this is like this isn't like winning it in, in some some part of the country where, where guys can't run. So the other thing is is JJ you know, never used a starting block because the school didn't have a program. They couldn't afford. You know, they did nothing. So he would just start upright and just whip dudes out of out of the block. And if you've ever <laughs> run track, you know that starting block is a huge advantage. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah, that's just some little details. But he he saw that, and the other thing he kind of saw from that older brother and that sort of mentor relationship is he saw the charisma that JJ had and he would, you know, he had a, a way of lighting up a room and, mm-hmm. and he had the big smile and he made everybody around him, you know, feel the love and feel, you know, get excited and want to, want to win and want to be part of this is all the stuff we see in Devin today. And Devin was getting that straight from this stepbrother. Yeah, you mentioned, you know, you have some great uh, shots of uh, uh, video that I, I, I'm not sure, you don't have to give me trade secrets where you got them from, but um, Devin, first of all, was a man-child, right? I mean, when he was younger, he looked much older. I mean, this was a kid that, um, you know, uh, could pass for a, a young teenager when he when he was not quite there yet, um, but their smiles are so similar. Like, you see sort of that radiance, you know, from both of them, and... Um, I thought it was really interesting. You feel you feel the the love that Devin and the admiration he has for his brother, um, and and then of course uh, I think his brother was 19 years old. I want to say um, was interested in, in perhaps pursuing a career in the military, and he's on a. I mean, for lack of a, he's with a church group. Um, yeah, in a van. church trip. They had gone yeah, to like a theme trip. park or something. Yeah, and they're and, they're in a van on the way home. Uh, van's driven by Devin's, you know, youth football coach, childhood right. mentor. I mean, this is all right. all your favorite people, you know. Right, right. And uh, the the the, uh, 
you know, the van hits a, I think one of the tires blew out and, and, you know, you, you, you've heard stories like this, the car flips and, yeah, you know, it's just unbelievably tra- tragic. Um, and J, you know, JJ lost his life. Uh, but I think what, what, one of the things that kind of, you know, was so emotional when we were learning the story, um, you know, JJ had decided to go into the military for a couple of reasons. One is honor and, and felt this like love of country and want to serve his country like a lot of young young men do. And, and that's so admirable and real uh, for him. And, and then the other reason was he wanted to make, uh, you know, he wanted to earn a living that he could send back home and help, help the family. And, and yeah. part of it is, of course, you know, help put food on the table because because the family got a little bigger and there's sisters and there's, you know, there's younger sisters and there's Devin. But a lot of it was that Devin was in full, you know, full bloom with his a- athletic career. Devin at this time was like 12 or 13 and he's starting to go to all those football camps and, and need, like he just needed some help funding, like all the things he was going to want to do as an athlete that would get mm-hmm. him to LSU and would get him seen because you know, as Devin will, will tell you in some of these interviews that he's done with other people, you know, part of the thing you have to deal with growing up in a super small country town is you don't have exposure. No one's going to yeah. see you unless you go places. Yeah. You don't have the same opportunities that a kid from even Baton Rouge or New Orleans has. I mean, you are out in the middle of nowhere and, and you know, hey, you're going to need shoes. You're going to need this. You're going to need coaching. So, so you know. JJ wanted to do that for Devin and knew that someday Devin was going to be great. And JJ was like the first guy that believed in him. You know, I mean, he saw it uh, and they would sit around and they would talk and they would share dreams and what they were both going to do for this family. And it's just super heartbreaking, but also really sweet and really inspiring. And, you know, if you love Devin White, and we all do, we love what he does on the field and we love how cool he is you see this piece and it's just going to give a whole different context to this guy that you love yeah sean houston um is the mentor the lifelong mentor who was behind the wheel of that van at that time he was the guy um who would uh drive devin white to the lsu football camp for example where les miles offered him a scholarship he was 14 years old um to your point jj knew sort of what devin's future was um, before, maybe even before Devin did, but before he lost his life for sure. And the connection you make, and this is the, this is the filmmaking aspect of it because I, I, look, I'm, I'm not a film critic. I, I criticize football for a living. That's pretty much what I do. Um, but I, I watched this thing and we know of Devin White's love of horses. I mean, he's, you know, from the time we met him, that was obvious and he is, you know, brought some to here in Tampa. And, and I think one of the coolest things I've ever seen was him running around Raymond James stadium with a Lombardi trophy. So cool. It's the neatest, yeah. neatest thing to this date. Um, but what I didn't know is sort of how much that affection, uh, and, and love of those animals, uh, what he got from it and why it was so important in his life at that time. Um, really explain that you really capture that, that, you know, here was a young, very young kid who was going through indescribable tragedy and trying to cope with it 
um, but did it with such maturity and positivity. And then the horses play a part in that. Yeah. I mean, so he's 13 years old at the time. You, you mentioned he was a man. like, you know, 13, he looked like he was 19 and you're going to see, you're going to see that in the piece too tonight. The, uh, the news interview with him, uh, you know, news crew comes to cover this horrible tragedy and they interview this kid and happens to be dead, but he, he won't let himself cry. Uh, he has to be strong, has to be strong for his mom, has to be strong for his stepdad, but he, he really wants to be strong for his younger sisters. So in his mind, he can't let them see him cry. So he's not like, you know, and, and, and listen, grief is a thing and, and not all of us have the access to the therapist and this and that. Right, right. And, and so this young 13 year old just kind of goes to this place that is his, his peaceful place as he describes it. And, you know, when you're, he, he says it very clearly when you're with the horses, you know, you're, it, it, you're grooming the horse, you're feeding the horse, you're walking the horse, you're doing all these things. You're not sitting there dwelling mm-hmm. on that super dark, dark place. And he knew he had to go to there in order to help get through some of this. And I think that when you see the love of horses that's still with him today, that some of that is going, Hey man, this, this is, this has been part of me since I was a little kid. And, and it's helped me through the darkest, darkest time of my life and it's always important um it's really beautiful something else that i took away from this just kind of being there and in this behind the scenes of it all um his level of horsemanship is is through the roof like he's Mm -hmm. not it's not just a hobby for him it's a he's he's excellent at it and and i didn't really as a novice myself i don't really understand what that means specifically Mm -hmm until this one moment. So we had taken him to a neighboring ranch where he could, he could ride there. He was very specific. I can't ride the horses on certain surfaces because it's not safe for them. I have to go to a surface like blank. If you want mm-hmm. me to ride a straightaway, I'm like, okay, great. Mm-hmm. We'll go to the neighboring ranch. And we arranged this and I had to set it up because that's what I do. And, and uh, the, the woman that owned that ranch didn't know, had never met them. So they're meeting for the first time. They're, you can see them bonding over horsemanship and so forth. Devin rides the horse. He rides the straightaway pretty fast a couple times. And uh, when it's over, I get my shot. And it takes like 10 minutes. Devin's gone. I, I don't know where he is. Hmm. I'm like, did he go home? What, where? And, and, you know, <laughs> we have a drone operator that's filming this stuff from the sky. The drone operator says, yeah, he's like a mile away and he's walking <laughs> the horse. Hmm. Like, okay. Why doesn't he just ride the horse back? Mm-hmm. And we wait for him and it takes about 15, 20 minutes. And finally here comes Devin and he's walking the horse and the woman had tears in her eyes. And I said, why, well, why is this emotional for you? She said, because he's so um, understands horsemanship that he knows when you get a horse that lathered up, you got to slowly walk them back to cool them down. You have to take wow. care of the animal. And that way, you, you, the animal deserves that, and its body needs that. And she said, nobody, you know, most young kids that ride horses don't get that. And she was, wow. like, so blown away that Devin cared that much about the animal that he spent 25 minutes walking him after mm. a 10-minute ride. And mm. I was like, wow, okay. Well, that, that kind of tells you what level of a horsemanship we're dealing with here. Yeah, and you meet George Shaw, who's 66. He 
was the one uh, that Devin first um, went with to learn how to ride horses. He's got a 160-acre farm there in Cotton Valley and or that area. Um, it's really, really interesting relationships that, that he forges in his hometown. Here's the thing that, and even, and one of the reasons, you know, we wrote the story, of course, is when he was drafted, we wanted to learn about Devin and his family. And of course, we learned about JJ uh, and and all that that we have discussed. But what I didn't know at the time, and I think you, you show it beautifully, and it, and it really, there is a, you know, a spiritual aspect to all of this. Um, and that is that, and it's inexplic- inexplicable in a way, Here's a kid in JJ that was in Louisiana where most most people grow up, they're Saints fans or they're Cowboys fans in that general area. It's near the Arkansas State line. And JJ was a Bucks fan at a time when there probably wasn't many Bucks fans around. And in fact, I think his his favorite player was Rondé Barber. Um and so so many years later, Devin comes out in the draft and the Bucks own the fifth overall pick. And it just so happens on draft night, and he takes a photo with him of JJ, a graduation picture, and then and then you capture it. the The phone rings, and JJ's favorite team has drafted him. I mean, it's eight years after his death, and uh, you know, talk about full circle. I mean, yeah, you know, like you said, it's not like he came from a place where everyone was a Bucks fan. No one was a Bucks fan except JJ. Right, and the fact—the fact that his—you know—he didn't live long enough to see his little brother not only drafted by his favorite team, but to win a Super Bowl with that team. And this is why I told you I just kind of stowed this away in the back of my head and said, at some point, this is gonna, this is gonna go somewhere else, and I don't know where it's gonna go, but when it does, we'll be ready. Like that was—that's when it kind of triggered in my brain that this 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 story arc was complete, and. Yeah. um it's cool, man. And, and, you know, not to give too much away, but, um, you know, we're with him as he kind of goes back and visits JJ's gravesite and yeah. it's just so like authentic and, and emotional. And, you know, he just wants to, it's funny. Like, I think one of the things you asked me off when we first met was, you know, I can't believe that he gave you that access and, and he was willing to, to let us see that experience. And, um, I, I think there's a very specific reason for that. Um, part of it is, you know, we build a trust as, as storytellers and all that, and, and, and there's a relationship there. But, but the other thing is, and the biggest thing is that he really wants people to know the story of his brother. Mm-hmm. And it was really important to him on draft night, for those of you that remember, the Bucks fan, and he sat there in that green room waiting for his, the phone to ring, he put a picture of his brother there on the table next to him. And I asked him, I said, you know, what, what, you know, why'd you do that? And it was, had you planned? He said, I just hope that someday somebody would ask me why I did that so that I could tell them about my brother. Hmm. Isn't that cool? That so, is really neat. Yeah. So you saw it, you, you, or you understood the story and you started it and we, we, you know, we're smart enough to pick up on it. Like we want to know about his brother. And he wants us to ask that question, and hopefully tonight, uh, you know, his fans and people that don't even know him will get a sense for for what his brother was all about. Well, it's a terrific story, but you tell it so well. And what I like about NFL 360, and I haven't really considered this, um, uh, 
you know, we're used to whether it's 30 for 30 or, you know, some, some of the great um, pieces that, um, that a lot of, you know, uh, sports uh, productions do, but you guys do such a great job and you, you've done many of these and won many awards. Um, but there's no storyteller. There's no narrator in this. It's the people um, and, and, and your ability to tell stories through these, through these interviews. And like you said, the trust you built is remarkable. Um, I'm here to tell you that you put us literally in, in that spot. Um, and I don't want to give too much away, but the sun's coming through the pines and the wind is blowing. And I mean, it, if you've got a heartbeat, uh, this will grip you. It is, it is gorgeous to watch those, you know, all through the film, the animals are absolutely beautiful. But you get a sense of who he is. You get a sense of the fiber of this, uh, of this small town, and um, the 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 way he has kept his brother with him. You know that that memory alive in him, and has he continues his journey. It is just so well told, and um, yeah, just hats off to you, man. People have to watch this movie. It, it is, and I I knew most of what was you know the story, but. I'm telling you, um, this is a this is a beautiful film, whether it was about Devin White or somebody else. It's just really, really well done, Trent. Well, I really appreciate it. Um, I love what you guys do. I, I appreciate you having us on. I know you keep calling it a film, and we call it that too. It's only 12 minutes long. So for those of you that are intimidated by long, <laughs> long movies, this is this is 12 minutes, and and uh, then following that, we uh, we actually have a really amazing story uh on on a former raider uh who uh climbed mount everest and we were with him for that journey and it's wow. pretty spectacular too so if you if you can hang for an hour on tuesday night you're going to get your money's worth uh on nfl network one final thing about you um even though you're you know you're you're big time now of course um <laughs> but but you're you're from our area. You're one you of us. Out or I'm going to get my ass kicked at the office. Well, you're you're one of us, and and I think it's so cool that you grew up uh, in Central Florida. I think you said Lakeland High School. Is that correct? Yes, I was a Lakeland so, not. Yeah, I played for uh, Bill Castle. He was a legend when I was there, and he's still coaching. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I've been I've been a Bucks fan since my my. I always tell the people at my office my first ever Bucks game was their first home win. Uh, what was that? 77, right? Yeah. 1977. Yeah. Yeah. Giving away my age. Uh, so when you work in the national media, like you, you cannot be a homer. I mean, they will crush you <laughs> if you're, you're a homer, or if you're constantly pitching Bucks stories, uh, everybody will start rolling their eyes. So I have to be very, very, very careful about when we do it. We did one last year on, uh, the guy that uh, Ali Marpet and, and the offensive lineman had 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 found the story about a, a guy that had been falsely accused uh, on and was on death row for for seventeen years until they were able to help get him out. Do, do you remember that story? That was our yeah. It was, year, uh, it was remarkable. Yeah. So that that was a big NFL three hundred and sixty story last year. But I, I can only do these every now and then, or I'll get I'll get made fun <laughs> of at the office. But uh, this is a great one, and we're, we, 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 we think Devin's amazing, and we're glad to help share his story and, and love the relationship he had with J.J. and, and really want to honor that and hope, hope we did him right. You certainly did, and you guys have to watch it. It's 
on NFL uh, 360 film, uh, NFL Network, 8 p.m., uh, Wild Horses. Trent Cooper, of course, is the producer. And I got to ask you one final thing. Uh, if the Rays play the Dodgers again in the World Series, are you are you, are you going to pull for the home team? Or I know you can't show your fan card, but come on now. Listen, this it's is really hard for me. It's really hard. <laughs> I I didn't know what to do last year because those are my two favorite teams. And uh, you, you just end up kind of like you just end up rooting for whoever's losing so that right, they can come right. back and win. And then <laughs> right. when they come back, I look for the wrong guy. Uh, but what a, what a series it was. I hope, oh. I hope they can, uh, yeah. I hope, I hope they can come back and I just can't believe how the Rays just keep reloading with no money. It's the, it's the coolest story in sports. You yeah. guys, uh, should be so proud. It Short really stop's is pretty good too. Yeah, no, he's, he's okay. I think he's going to wander's going to be around for a while. Uh, Trent Cooper, watch it tonight, folks. NFL network, NFL 360 wild horses, the story of Devin white tonight at 8 p.m. Thanks so much for your time, Trent. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. My thanks to Trent Cooper. Uh, Just a terrific film. I hope you guys all watch it. And um, if you don't, I'm sure you can find it uh, online. We'll probably have a link up to it, I think, at some point later today. I wrote about it in Sunday's Tampa Bay Times as well on TampaBay.com. The Rays are in Houston. One win, and they clinched the best record in the American League. How about that? Six games to go. They just need one more. They go 3-3 three and three this week, 100 wins. 100 wins. I kind of hope they get it. It's not It's not the end-all, be-all, yep. of course, but what the heck, if you're that close, you might as well get a honey, right? And the other the light- thing, 100 win, or one more win would be the best record in franchise history. They've tied it yeah. right now at 97. They've tied so. it. That's correct. I think that one's going to fall. I would like to see them get 100 because I just like the number. Um, but that would, that would be really cool. Well, here's the other thing you want to root for. You want to root for the Red Sox, the Yankees, and the Blue Jays to all tie for the wild cards. Because really? you want you want them playing extra games. You want them playing games 163 and 164 to figure it out. Oh yeah. The more that's games true. they play, the more, you know, the the more they they can't set up their pitching rotation, et cetera, et cetera. So we want yeah. you want to root for all three of those to tie at the end of the year. That would be quite the uh quite the ordeal. The Lightning are at Carolina. They open their preseason. It's hard to believe we are there, but we are there. It's almost two weeks a, from tonight is opening night. It's just crazy, man. Talk about your short off seasons. I mean, the Lightning certainly had that, and of course they've had to retool much much of what they do. And then uh, the mailbag. We're going to have a mailbag segment tomorrow, so get your questions in. It could be anything on the Bucks, the Rays, the Lightning, college football. You name it. Uh, we're here to answer all those questions one hundred percent correctly. You can do that. By sending those questions to me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, you can uh, send it to us uh, at Sports Day Tampa Bay or at Sports Day TB on Twitter, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. Mailbag tomorrow. So for Steve Burstink, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.